And now, from the Room 111 Studios, it's Hacking Engagement with James Sterneman. Well, hey there, listener, and welcome back to the Hacking Engagement Podcast. I'll bet when you downloaded this episode, the first thing you noticed is that it is longer than most of my episodes. There's a reason for that. I'm celebrating. I'm celebrating 50 episodes of the Hacking Engagement Podcast, and I'm doing something a little different today. I'm not going to talk about what you can do tomorrow in class, although you're certainly invited to take some of this conversation and apply it to tomorrow's lesson plan. I'm going to be talking about what you're going to be doing to engage kids 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. And to help me with this incredibly inspirational topic is Dr. April Domini. Dr. Domini is the superintendent at Gehanna Christian Schools, but she's worked for decades in the public schools. She's also been an education researcher. So if you're interested in what's down the road for you as a teacher, for your kids in later grades, for your grandchildren. Stay put. Kick back. (laughs) You're going to love this episode. Hey there, listener. Please check out my book, Hacking Engagement, 50 Tips and Tools to Engage Teachers and Learners Daily. It's available on Amazon as of the late summer of 2016. And also check out hacklearning.org for a cornucopia of teacher empowerment resources. If you enjoy the Hacking Engagement Podcast, do us a solid. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Okay, let's get back to the solutions part of the Hacking Engagement Podcast. Here's what happens. You do 50 podcasts, you think you're maybe going to do 10 or 20, and you end up doing 50, and then you're just getting warmed up. So I mentioned in the introduction that this was episode number 50, and I wanted to do something special for number 50. So I took the Room 111 studios on the road, drove a couple miles south to Columbus, Ohio. I'm sitting in the director's office. Is that what you call Mm -hmm. yourself, the director? I'm actually a superintendent. Oh, superintendent. Superintendent. I'm sitting in Dr. Domini's office, and I'm not in trouble. (laughs) She invited me to come in. So uh, Dr. Domini, Dr. April Domini, was my boss 10 years ago at my school district. She left for greener pastures, and then we became friends. Yes. So how are yes. you doing, friend? I'm doing well. How are you, friend? You had a good Friday? I did have a good Friday. <laughs> well, we're in Columbus, and it's early April, and it's yeah. absolutely frigid outside. Yes. But well, there's the beautiful, beautiful blue skies. You got it. And so, um, you know... I'm one of these guys that likes to think about the future. Now, April, I'm one of those guys, I have more yesterdays in education mm-hmm. than I have tomorrows. <laughs> but when I start talking about the future, I start thinking about more tomorrows. Yes. So I get excited and say, ah, I'm not ready to hang up the spikes yet. Me too. Me <laughs> okay. too. And I really admire you because you've done so much in this profession. Mm. You've been a student. You've been a parent. You've been a teacher. You've been an administrator, like a building administrator. You've been a central office person. You've been a superintendent. You've been a researcher. And now you're back to being a superintendent. You've seen education from multiple perspectives. And how have these perspectives shaped your views? Well, I think for me it began 
as a student. You know, I was one of those students in high school who had a passion, mm -hmm. a, a really deep passion in theater. <laughs> uh, you know, my whole life had I had thought, you know, I'm going to be in musical theater and I was going to be on Broadway. That was the whole trajectory of my life. And, you know, I was in high school so many years ago that we'll not name the number, yeah, right? Right. Yeah. But decades ago. Right. And even then, I had a high school that gave me the opportunity to imagine that my high school experience could be about my passion. And so my junior and senior year, uh, my school worked with me to think differently about how to do my academic credits so that I could spend at least half my day in the theater. Wow. Um, that and, was unheard of back and then. And that was unheard it? of back then. But it, I think it shaped, it shaped yeah. me. It shaped me, um, you know, the whole rest of my trajectory as a college student studying special education and elementary education. My journey then as a teacher myself, seeing the difference in my kids mm -hmm. when I was doing the things that I thought we had to cover or the things we had yeah. to, you know, we had to experience. And you're always trying to make it as interesting as possible, but you can see that there's just never that deep engagement. Mm -hmm. Like I, I like when students don't really own it, no. but that when you turn the corner mm -hmm. into something they're passionate about, engagement's not even a question mm -hmm. because it's automatic. Right. Just like it was for me, just just like those educators back at Centerville High School all those years ago said, we're going to figure out a way that you can be in the theater all day. We have to figure out how to do that for kids today. And so that that really has just energized have my whole ever, life. Have really. you ever gone back to little Centerville, Ohio you know, and said, do you haven't. realize how much, how advanced you yes. all were back mm -hmm. in the day? Allowing me to do this personalization before personalization was cool. No, I haven't, but I need to do that. I have had that conversation with my theater teacher in high school right. because he championed that for me and was such a great you had influence to feel, in my life. You had to feel like you were just let out of a cage. Absolutely. I like, mean, the like you were freed. Right. The difference in high school students today, right? Think mm -hmm. about how much is about going through the motions or checking off the box or, you know, all the movement right now about shadow a student, shadow a student for a day, shadow a mm -hmm. high school student for a day and experience what life is like from their vantage point and how unengaging, how, yeah. you know, boring, how, yeah. you know, going from period to period just to sit and passively listen. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, again, I, I really think that that experience, the, those educators at Centerville High School who mm -hmm. were willing to do that for me have shaped this obsession that I have now had for my entire career, which is we can make education student-centered. Right. We can figure out how to focus on the talent, the gift, the passion, the interest, as well as the academic need of every student. And we can make school a place where that talent is unleashed. And, and, and that for really, that's really the obsession well, that, of my life. April, you've been in a lot of roles, but I'll bet there's another aha moment besides being a student at mm -hmm. Centerville High School mm -hmm. you're going to talk about. Yes. Lay it on me. Yes. And it has to be as a special ed teacher. Yeah. And working with learning disabled students and students who I watched year after year feel like a failure. Mm -hmm. constantly trying to conquer the belief that they were less than, that they were broken, that mm -hmm. something was wrong with them, that they didn't have any talents or gifts. 
And that for me, it was the experience as a, as a teacher who relentlessly was trying to figure out how to turn the light on for every single one of those kids. I had one student in particular, a third grade student, Mm -hmm. was not reading, almost non-reading all the way to third grade, almost non-reading, you know, crawling under tables, Mm -hmm. making animal noises, you know, people, they don't know what to do with him. He, you know, whatever. And I started working with this student and I knew within the first conversation with him that he was brilliant. Yeah. Um, And as soon as I got him out of that environment and into Mm -hmm. a smaller setting and was, was really starting to talk and get to know him and then starting to do some analytical things to diagnose what was wrong with his ability to read. Long story short, I, you know, applied some different research-based strategies that I had been learning and researching about how to help Mm non-readers break the code of reading. And he learned to read in six weeks. He went from non-reading to almost reading at grade level. It was miraculous. I had never, I had never seen the incredible impact of just believing Mm -hmm. and then introducing to a kid an entirely new strategy to unlock what was already inside them. And that experience to me said, we can never, like, we can never stop. You know, my whole life has to be about the fact that there is a way for every child to learn and discover who they are and their power and their talent. And, and so it really has fueled my passion to go into administration, to Mm -hmm. be part of hoping hoping and helping that we change the future of education. I'll bet that had another impact on you as well. I bet that you had incredible frustration Mm. with with looking at a classroom where a teacher became obsessed with covering stuff Mm. and and, Mm -hmm. and checking those boxes off that Mm -hmm. syllabus Mm -hmm. as opposed to Looking at the kid right. and saying, well, what, do you, what do they need, man? Right. How, how can I reach them? Mm. Now, I'll bet that that was transformational, not for you, not just for you, but for that kid. Oh, absolutely. And I tell Body his, language. I tell his story effect, all, all the time. You know, he said to me a phrase that I now use all the time, which uh-huh. is he said when he finally started to read and, he, and his entire demeanor and self-esteem started to change, his behavior right. changed, he said, you know, it's as if you turned the light on. Well, and that's kind of and, and and that's it, right? And that's kind of what guides you, isn't it? That mm. concept of personalizing education for students. Yes. I mean, I, I've known April for for a decade, and she's always been about that. Mm-hmm. that yes, absolutely. So, so you had that experience in high school, mm-hmm. and then it was reinforced dramatically. Yes. As that teacher. Now, how many years in were you in education at that point? So I was 10 years into my teaching career. Okay, now now you look back the 10 mm-hmm. years before that. Right. Were you doing things not as effectively? Yes. Uh-huh. Absolutely. What were you trying to do? I, I think you're trying to do the things that you've been taught or right. that you believe that you've are been the modeled. things that have been modeled for you, yeah. that you've been, you know, we've been trained in our universities to believe this is exactly what I should do. And I'm going through those motions. I'm doing those things. I, I think right. I still did good things for kids. Right. But until I crossed over into pursuing research for myself under, and saying, I have a responsibility mm-hmm. to know what research says about what works um, when teaching somebody when they're not learning so that I got far away from curriculum being a driver to curriculum just being a tool. 
Mm-hmm. You know, then yeah. then the then That's the good. then the relationship with my students started to change, the relationship with teaching started to change, my role as their teacher started to change and I would say my next my next big aha yeah. as a administrator then was observing teachers across right. so many classrooms working and facilitating professional development for teachers and then that aha becomes very powerful because you can walk in three classrooms and do three different classroom observations and and taste and see in one room this deep level of engagement, cognitive engagement, not just busyness, not just mm-hmm. students are active. We, we, we tend to always misunderstand that activity is engagement versus engagement is thinking. Or compliance. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that engagement is really deep thinking. Yeah. Um, and so you, you, I would go into a class and I would see extraordinary work where teachers were really having students lead their thinking and students mm-hmm. lead their experience in their classroom. And then maybe two more observations that were very teacher-directed and the whole role of the student was just to sit and passively listen. You know, you know what's tough, I think, for a lot of teachers, and I would say that, that I suffer from this some, mm. is this concept of turning education over to the students, which is the way it should be. Mm-hmm. But how in the world do you manage that? And what's to say that your room isn't going to be chaotic? Mm. And, and how do you know they're actually doing stuff? Right. How, how do you? I mean, because kids are great actors. Yes. Well, I, I my my first pushback to that would be, how do you know they're actually doing any thinking when they're just right. staring at you while you lecture? But I'm just thinking about so, I'm thinking about the anxiety that some teachers mm-hmm. might have with this concept of not having this structured teacher directed mm-hmm. yes uh, atmosphere. Right. And how intimidating that might be for some teachers. I, it, it absolutely is intimidating. I mm-hmm. think the first thing we have to start with is just unpacking that, which is we're not saying without structure. Right. right? We're saying that you teach structure and structure mm-hmm. becomes a norm right. of the classroom. And our belief as adults is that we're assuming that students don't have any capacity for leading structure. Yeah. Yeah. So when we assume student-led learning is chaotic, uh, we're assuming that. You know what? And you're you're preaching to the choir. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. in agreement with you. Yeah. But I but I know how my colleagues think. Sure. And, and I and I know that fear. And I had that right, fear. Right. 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 I think you have to start small. Mm-hmm. And because with every teacher that I'm traveled this journey with Mm -hmm. over the last 10, 15 years that um, I've been really trying to pursue this hard with with my colleagues in teaching and and ask that question is just start small. Start Mm -hmm. with one thing where you literally have just asked yourself the question, I'm not going to do all the thinking. I'm not going to do all the talking. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just create at least one opportunity or activity. Right. I actually just had. I just had a a teacher give me an example today. (laughs) um, She was sharing with me because we've been on this journey and talking about what does inquiry look like. Right. What does it look like when um, you put the student at the center of their own thinking? Um, I will just say an aside to that, and, I, and we saw this in New Albany when we started to do this work, and, and we're seeing it here at Kahana Christian. One of the first things students will do is beg you to lecture. Yeah. Because it's work. Yeah. 
And they start to feel <laughs> like, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I yeah. used to be able to just come yeah. in here, check out a little bit. That's right. Just get into my chill zone mode and just listen mm-hmm. and didn't really demand a whole lot of me. And That's now right. you're demanding mm-hmm. all this work and all this thinking, you know. So um, her example was, you know, she was getting ready, let's say fifth grade science, teach a, a unit on cells, mm-hmm. both human cells and animal cells and comparing and so think about, like, right off the bat, from a teacher-directed standpoint, what comes to your mind. I'm going to have examples of human cells and animal cells. I'm going to show the difference. Mm-hmm. I'm going to teach them the difference characteristics. And then I'm going to ask them to look at some models and see if they can dis- judge which ones are which. Right? That's a classic teacher-directed mm-hmm. approach to that. Well, we've been studying inquiry and open inquiry. And she said, you know what I did? I set up, you know, Chromebook lab ahead of time, kind of around the room. And I talked, of course, I set it up for them. I talked about what are cells and the building blocks of, you know, Mm -hmm. any kind of living organism. And then I said, you know, I wonder how, I wonder how animals and humans are different. Mm -hmm. Very good. And there are Chromebooks in the room for you to start digging into. Mm -hmm. Let's see what you can come up with. And then at the end of, you know, the next 40 minutes, you're going to be presenting, you know, what what did you find? As you research the answer mm-hmm. to that question, what did you find? And her, her um, what she shared with me today was, again, what I have heard from teacher after teacher that has just asked themselves this question and tried this, is they could not believe the depth of student learning. They could, she could not believe how deeply they actually went into cell anatomy and that she's never seen fifth graders go into cell anatomy at that uh degree. And here's the big aha Mm -hmm. for her, which again, I have seen over and over. And she said, if I had just taught cell anatomy to fifth graders, I would never have gone as deep Mm -hmm. as they did themselves. So she primed the pump. Yes. So that activity, that question, that prompt in the beginning Open the door mm-hmm. to them being motivated right. to then go out and explore. Right. It's a perfect segue. Mm, okay. <laughs> For my next question. Yes. So the one thing I love about April is she has her she has her finger on the pulse of where this noble profession is headed. Mm. She's got it, man. She understood this ten years ago when she came to my school district and pushed us to start collaborating. Mm. And we were like, what? Collaborate? What are we talking right. we, we eat lunch every day. <laughs> right. I've been in my room by myself for 30 years. I will collaborate. Right. Tell me what you see 10 years from now, mm. 20 years from now. Mm. What do schools look like? Yes. 10, 20, 30 years from now, mm-hmm. uh, I think we are at the cusp of the next major evolutionary Big step time. of education. Big time. Um Really to the point where, you know, thank goodness for all of the energy and the momentum that is pushing us to change. We are either going to change or we are going to tear ourselves apart. Mm -hmm. We have to make the leap just like they did 100 years ago Mm -hmm. from the one-room schoolhouse to the industrial model. That's right. Today it's time to make the jump from the industrial model to the information or the innovation age model. Excellent. You know, I was on the phone with a college. um, Well, 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 hold on. Okay. Can you talk about that? What yeah. is the information? So what is it? Yeah. yeah. So the innovation age model says we have to put students at the heart of their own learning and mm-hmm. empower them with 
the ability to learn. Because there is no way, it's already not true, there is no way for a teacher to be the deliverer of information anymore. That's right. The role of information expert as for the teacher is over, Mm -hmm. right? What the teacher's role must become in the future is facilitator. That individual who understands the knowledge and skills that students need to acquire, but understands that they need to develop the independent ability to learn because what they will have to learn, the, the things they will have to engage in, we don't even yet know. So if we don't start building in them the tools of how to learn, and then the tools about how to think and how to communicate and how to collaborate as this global society shrinks us Mm -hmm. and makes us closer than ever before, they will not be prepared. And, and, And so, you know, this innovation age education system has to be about, um, empowering students to learn at the speed of their own progress um, and I don't know if you remember that. I've been saying that for a long mm-hmm. time. That and that's that personalization piece. That students don't have time to waste. We can no longer right. group them by chronologic age. Mm-hmm. We have to start saying that the role of the teacher is architect or designer, and that architect is fully knowledgeable of the essential <clears throat> skills and knowledge, but understands how to build a scaffold for learning so that the student can acquire that as quickly as possible, Mm -hmm. as deeply as possible, and as independently as possible. You know, what I hear you saying is a lot of skills. Mm. I I, I, I keep sensing skills. We need to uh, facilitate skills in our students Mm. because the knowledge is so readily available. Right, right. You just a click away. Yes. Well, and I think the thing that we're going to redefine as skill, you know, we've been so bound by our definition of skill is academic skill. Okay. That we are going to learn that the most singly important skill Mm -hmm. is the skill of creativity. Beautiful. And and that if, if our students can't create, Mm-hmm. If they can't create knowledge, if they can't create new ideas, if they can't create connections, um, they're not going to be the generation that we need to run our society in okay, the future. How, how do you do that? Right. How, how, do you, how do you develop creativity? Because I think in our generation, mm-hmm. a teacher would look at a student and say, wow, they're creative. They're not. Yes. Exactly. So talk about that some. Right. I I think, again, it boils down to that student-centered experience Mm -hmm. that is pushing students to inquire Mm -hmm. and think rather than label and grade or evaluate thought. Mm -hmm. So part of how we, and there's been so much writing in this area about the creativity crisis Mm -hmm. Um, in our country about uh, Time Magazine did a piece on the dramatic, if you give a test of creativity to a kindergartner, the skill, the the level of creativity, ability that they have, literally as an ability, is off the charts. And then literally they have tracked and studied (laughs) how that drops over time. And that by the time that you are a graduating senior, we have pretty much convinced you, Mm -hmm. like you just said a minute ago, you're not creative. How much of that you know. do you think is pure pressure? 
this concept of feeling uncomfortable hmm. about being creative. I think I think it's the I think that's just a symptom of the environment. Okay. You know, because we do start labeling let's say kindergartners art, you know. Right, right, know, right, right. From the time they're young. <laughs> so it doesn't take a lot of peer pressure, yeah. right? When the teacher is yeah. also saying Oh, this is really great because it yeah. looks exactly like the model. And this is not so great because you didn't do a very good job approximating the model. Um, you know, so or, we, or check this you out. Know. When, you're, when you're three, you're home, you're drawing. Right. Mom loves it. You get, yeah. you get to school and your friend says, your drawing yes. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're right. like, I'm not drawing anymore. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Well, I, mean, I, I think, think that happens to a lot of kids. I can't get high school yeah. kids to draw. Right? No, I I won't. I won't draw. I'm one of those. Right. I, I mean, I because they're feel obsessed like with. I, was, I think it's going to look stupid. I think I was labeled early on. You know, <laughs> non artistic, <laughs> non artistic, <laughs> and maybe that's why I went into theater because I thought I am artistic, just not in that way. Um, but yeah, no, I I think that. What is powerful to me, again, being involved in this inquiry work with incredible teachers who mm-hmm. have um, an innovator's mindset. And so I'll throw that book out there. George sure. George Koros, Innovator's mm-hmm. Mindset. Um, if your listeners have not read a book, sure. that that's, I don't want to say that's a new Bible of innovation. But <laughs> I'll put it on my show now, now, hold on yeah. a second. You know. so, so right now, kids come to school in August. Mm-hmm. They leave in June. They're in school for... Eight periods. Yes. It's just the freaking assembly line, baby. Yeah, bam, 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 bam. Move, move, move. 50 Mama minutes. Bell. Yeah. 50 minutes. They're like, they're like Pavlov dog, you know? Yeah. Just ring yep. a bell, they go down yep. this hall. So what's it going to look like 10, 15, 20 years from now? Yeah. 10, 15, 20 years from now, I, I, and I hope we are actually reinventing our high school for next year. So we're mm-hmm. trying to move in this direction. We've been studying, again, lots of our brilliantly creative colleagues across the country. So we aren't by any means the first to do this kind of thing. But, you know, I'm, I'll just paint a picture for you. It's way outside the box. Let's, I love let's it. go Jetsons for a minute, yeah, right? That's right. Um, Which might not that might yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might not work. That might not work for this for this age category, right? Yeah, we have futuristic. <laughs> yes, this is this is the um, uh, baby boomer yeah. analogy of um, what innovation yeah. age and information yeah. and industrial age was. I, I did have a colleague who said, you know, we have. We have um, Flintstones education for Jetson yep. kids. That's right. You know, and um, only some of us understand that reference. I love it. So keep talking. But, man. Yeah, yeah. So you know what I think the high school of the future looks like is literally imagining yourself um, already in the role of an adult who is managing their own time and their own work. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a large, let's say you have a large auditorium or common space. Um, I like to imagine, imagine the students are walking in in the morning um, and there are schedules on big screens, kind of like when you walk into the airport. Mm-hmm. And as a student, I know I'm on a couple different project teams um, that are interdisciplinary studies that may be humanities, it may be a math science project I'm on, it may be an English science blended project that I'm on, I look up to the screen and I see the schedule of the project teams meetings for the day. Mm -hmm. Again, just like my adult world of work, here's my meeting schedule for today. Wow. Here's the meetings that I have to attend for my Mm. team. um, Here's the appointments that I have with my advisor who is helping me monitor my academic progress through the content. 
some of that. I maybe I have a small group appointment with a pre-calculus study group. Maybe I have um, an individual study appointment with uh, my English teacher because um, I'm struggling with some writing skills and I'm in a writing conference. Um, and so every day I show up to work. Yeah. And I'm I have to get to work. I I know that I am I am in charge of monitoring my academic progress. Um, of course, I have a school that has served as my architect. So the kid is not designing that experience. We're designing it with them. But they're the expert of themselves, their strengths, their weaknesses, what they need to learn, what their goals are, what their interests are. And then as the architects, as educators, we're scaffolding and creating that experience. And there's probably kids getting through that process rapidly. Yes. There's kids spending a year and a half in high yes. school yes. out the door. Yes, and that's the other part of that, which, again, I think is a new role for mm -hmm. the American high school. What keeps high school relevant? I think, uh, and these are the conversations I'm having with business leaders, I think the school is still re relevant as a creator of networks for kids. Yeah. Right? Because they still, even though they don't need to be at school, they need someone opening doors for them in terms of, I want to go and spend two weeks and audit a history class at Ohio State yeah. because I want to just see what that's like. I want to job shadow um, uh, someone who works at the state house in government because I'm curious about that. And then I want to go and sit um, with a discussion group of lawyers that are providing a discussion for people about what their profession is like because I'm toying with this. And so, like to your point, maybe I'm not on campus at all. But my high school is still serving I love that answer. as my mm -hmm. as 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 my connector to the world of work and college and is building so many experiences in me. Uh, and for us, like, for instance, in a, in a Christian school, but I think fits for everyone, that whole mission and service side of my mm -hmm. of my world and life, too. The, the idea of social entrepreneurship, of um, what does it mean to be a person that is others-minded and globally-minded is something that we still can keep developing in students, too. So how are we giving kids, uh, one of the things we're doing here, talking about mm -hmm. how do we give you a cross-cultural experience in the local Latino community? Uh, how can you serve the local Latino community? What could you do? How could that help you have a deeper, more cross-cultural experience? And that could happen during your day. Right? You, know, you know what I love so much about what you said? And I've had this experience, you know, as you, as you get older in this job, there's certain things about it that you're just thinking, this is ridiculous. Here's yeah. a good example. I teach a class. We give a test. Some students are done in yes. 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then you have to create some activity for them so they don't disrupt the other students. Mm -hmm. They should be done for the day. Mm -hmm. right. When I was in college and took a test, when That's I was right. done, I walked out the door. Exactly. I think high school is, <laughs> I, think all of, I think all of school is going to be, a, again, a lot more student-driven, a lot more yeah. student-inquiry-driven, but a lot more... Um, uh, high school is going to be a lot more like college. And then I had a study hall, which looked like the cast of Ben Hur. There were so many students <laughs> so many in there. there, yeah. And it was in the auditorium, mm. not a conducive place to study because the school just did not know what to do with these kids. This right, period, right? We heard him in there, and I'm thinking, this yeah. is ridiculous. And the, see, that's the other thing. That's the other element of this that I think is transformational, and that is we have. This is the industrial model. Yeah, we have, we have driven this. everything by time. 
Yes. You must sit in a seat for 40 minutes. I must find some place to warehouse you or keep you busy when I don't have something meaningful for you to do mm-hmm. versus time is just a tool. Yeah. If the constant is learning mm-hmm. and time is variable, mm-hmm. why is it all the same? Well, there's, uh, uh, we could go on here. I love talking about this. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's wonderful. And I want you just to give a a brief pitch because we're going to have to wrap things up. This is yes. a longer episode, yeah. which is great. This is good stuff. I want you to give a pitch for your school. Okay. Because you're trying to do this. Yes. Next year. Yes. That's the ambitious. Year. Talk yes. about it. We are completely, now we are very small, so I'm what, sure what, right away the listeners will say, oh, well, it's well, talk about know, your, easier what, for what, them. What's the name of your school? Our, our school is Gahanna Christian Academy mm-hmm. um, in Gahanna, Ohio. Uh, we have students from preschool through 12th grade. Right. Um, we are going to have about 325 students here mm-hmm. across those grades. So right. our our grades are very small. Um, but we are completely taking the leap and transforming ourselves to an inquiry-based school that's focused on passion and purpose. And how do we help tap into that passion and purpose within every single student to create mastery-driven classrooms where time is no longer constant. It's a variable. Students move at the rate of their own mastery through content, and they progress at their own rate. Simultaneously, they're learning those deep skills of collaboration, creativity, critical thinking, and communication because they are deeply engaged in big questions about the world and wrestling with how they can impact the world and make a difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, And those project teams, that deep inquiry work is building those skills within students and is helping take their academic learning and really making them apply it. Um, At our high school next year, again, we've been meeting with all of our families individually to walk them through. Mm -hmm. High school will be totally different next year. Um, Again, it won't be bounded by courses. It won't Periods won't change on a bell. Um, We'll have two academic blocks a day, one that is more humanities, um, one that is more math and science. Uh, And then in addition to that, we're going to take an approach to electives that's totally different, which is we're doing a process now of finding out what students are passionate about and laying out to them kind of the sky is the limit. Just imagine what you want to study and understand Again, similar Mm -hmm. to life, right? If a lot of people want to study what you study, we may have a large group doing that. If a small group want to study something you're interested in, like video game design, or um, maybe it is uh, social entrepreneurship, maybe it is learning the guitar. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we may have a small group, or if you're the only person that wants to study that, then you may be in an independent study. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're doing that in both our fall term and then our winter spring term. And then we're ending our traditional terms at the end of April and implementing a May term or an M term. That's awesome. And, That's and, awesome. and, and a lot of schools have like a J term for us. May term will be a deep dive in ministry, a deep dive mm-hmm. in, um, electives, a deep dive in a project. So if a student wants to produce a, re- a music recording, their M term may be, I'm going to write the music, I'm going to do the instrumental arrangement, I'm going to pr- record How about a produce. podcast? A podcast. <laughs> I'm going to do a podcast. Right. Uh, now, now, let so me ask you our, this. That's our... Because you've, you've spent a lot of years in public education. Yes. Yeah. Would that, Could you pull this off at a, at a large public school? I think you could, but I think you'd probably start with, as a small school within a school. But it's a lot easier in a place like this. It's a lot easier. It's absolutely so a lot we, easier. So you guys are on the cutting edge 
of the future. We are trying to be. Right. And we're actually trying to join our colleagues all across the country. You know, I, again, mm-hmm. I don't want to make it sound like we are, no. we're not even first to this game. Yeah. You know, um, and, but back to your point, many of the pioneers in the space are private schools. But I'll tell you one thing. You're a big public educator. You yes, love public education. Yes, I love public education. I've spent, spent my whole life decades in, in public education. Yes, I've been in public and education my and whole I, And career. I'm a public educator, too. So let, let me just ask you this. But uh, I believe a team of teachers. I believe yeah. an individual teacher. I believe a department of teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe um, several departments could decide to to offer a school within a school experience. Just, just You just have just less numbers. Start, you just have less numbers, right? Now, now let me you ask know? you this. Do you have a... Do you have a vision statement or something that I could put on my show notes? We do. We do. Good. Yeah. Our vi- our vision. So if you're really interested in what yes. Abel's talking about, please come over and, and, yeah. and have a look. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Man, All right. You, you've been awesome. This is You're, you're so uh, inspirational. Always uh, have been. Thank you. Thank you. It, you're an inspiration to well, me. So, I, so, yeah. so, so maybe next year I'll come back here and you can say... Now we tried. <laughs> right. You know what? Next we got, year we got, we got tweaks. I things. would even say, you know, like come back six weeks in. Come yeah. back in October. Right. And put kids on the podcast. We will. We'll do that. You know, and and that's good. That's powerful. Let's talk about the student voice because yeah. already the reaction I'm getting from students is they just cannot believe that we're going to try to build. They, a they school. probably they probably have a hard time envisioning it too. Don't they? They do. They do. But they're intrigued with the notion sure. that. We want to build school around them and mm-hmm. not the other way around, which April, is exactly what we've done. You go, girl. Yay. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you. So here we are at the What You Can Do Tomorrow section, and anything that April and I discussed would be wonderful to apply to tomorrow's lesson plan. But this was a unique episode, so I don't have a specific list. What I will tell you is this. I've done 50 episodes of the Hacking Engagement podcast. It's been my great pleasure to bring you these episodes. And believe me, I'm just getting warmed up. Good luck tomorrow engaging your students. Show notes for this episode can be found at jamesallensternament.com. If you enjoy Hacking Engagement, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes.